Hi there, welcome to Growing Agri People, a podcast brought to you by Inspire Ag. My name's Sally Murphitt, I'm your host, and I'm also a people and culture specialist who is entirely focused on the Australian agriculture sector. With the people aspect of agriculture becoming more important than ever, now's the time to focus on how we attract and retain talent to our sector. Growing Agri People will bring you the people, ideas, and the strategies that will help you lead a farm team that is safe, productive, and profitable too. The first conversation that I'm bringing you for the Growing Agri People Season 2 is one that I've wanted to share for a long time now because it's such an important topic. I've been watching and cheering on our guest, Warren Davies, the unbreakable farmer, for I'd say probably five years now. And I just love what he's doing for our farming communities in particular. It's a story of an ordinary bloke who was literally broken after making the really difficult decision to walk away from his farm, leaving behind his livelihood, his sense of identity, and also the memories that he'd created with his family on his farm. Warren's now piecing together his life one conversation at a time after finding his true north, being a mental health advocate for rural and regional Australia. This is a really down-to-earth conversation and I feel it's relatable and relevant whether you're running a farm solo or you're a CEO of a large agri-corporation. I really do hope you get value from this conversation. Warren Davies, thanks so much for joining us on the new season of Growing Agri People. Thank you very much, Sally. It's an absolute pleasure to um, to join you today. Um, I've uh, obviously listened to a number of the season one episodes and I'm in um, very good company and hopefully I, I do your podcast justice. Warren, for those that don't know you, I'd ask what rock they've been living under, but for those that don't know you, who are you and what do you do? Uh, so my name's Warren Davies. I come from Kyabram in northern Victoria. Um, I'm an ex-dairy farmer, but now I'm a very passionate mental health advocate and, and speaker and, and get to um, travel around Australia sharing my story, which I'm very privileged to do. And um, I'm known as the unbreakable farmer, but a bit sheepish about talking about the unbreakable farmer because I think all farmers are unbreakable. But my first actual memory of agriculture as a, as a kid growing up in Melbourne, but my mum's uncle was a dairy farmer at Tregau, just out of Kerrang. And I can clearly remember um, riding around on the motorbike as that three to five-year-old kid um, with my mum's uncle. And uh, I can also clearly remember eating um, rabbit and the buckshot rolling around <laughs> the plate as we're eating tea, thinking, what the hell are we eating here? But that's my first clear memory of agriculture, I suppose, as a kid growing up in Melbourne was my mum's uncle's farm. So you mentioned before that you're the unbreakable farmer. What made you pursue this path? So growing up in Melbourne, I grew up at the foot of the Dandenong Ranges or in the in the Dandenongs themselves at Cockatoo um, for five years of my life. And my my dream job, I suppose, was to be a, become a park ranger because I'd always grown up surrounded by National Park, really. Um, you know, now it's fairly suburban, but it was National Park was my backdrop and that's what I wanted to be. And um, my schooling wasn't quite up to up to scratch, which we might might delve into a little bit later. But um, 
didn't really last long at school once we moved to the country and looking for a career path, which I didn't really believe was going to be a career path, but um, started working on a farm. Just happened to work for the best farmer in the district, which was a bonus, and um, that started my... I suppose really it's a lifelong pursuit now of you know working within agriculture you know in all different shapes and forms you know now as a speaker talking in rural and regional communities but um working as a as a dairy farmer slash manager slash worker all those sorts of roles for you know 30 odd years what are you doing now aside from the unbreakable farmer so when covid hit um, I was in central Queensland and uh, speaking to a group of farmers that had um, in the Flinders Shire, which the Flinders Shire is a vast shire in central Queensland and half that shire was entering their eighth year of drought and half the shire were um, in monsoon recovery. So it was a diverse group and um, I landed in Hewingdon um, that day and that was the 13th of March and all of a sudden, my phone started ringing and basically within 48 hours of work that I um, had booked in, which I was fairly well booked up from March right through to November, all disappeared. So um, I come home, um, sat on the couch thinking, you know, this will pass. It will be all over in a couple of weeks and history tells us that that was wrong. Um, and all of a sudden I thought, well, I need to do something here. I'm not going to get out on the road by the looks for the next little bit tomato producers close to us in Echuca were looking for tractor drivers and field staff because all the backpackers and grey nomads had left and that's what they relied on a fair bit and so I put my resume in and basically started the next day driving tractors doing field work um, growing tomatoes which is totally or growing mixed crops really because there's tomatoes and then our rotation crops of wheat and corn and you know all sorts of things but you know working with tractors and staff and all that sort of stuff so it's um it's been an interesting journey over the last couple of years and obviously this year a little bit more freedom so I've done a lot more speaking this year but also still got that you know got that job there as well which they're fantastic employers and they're fairly flexible I can nick off to a speaking gig and then come back and still um, have that that work there for me so it's that's been really good so you know it's one of those things that I'm really blessed that agriculture is part of my life because I think the last you know three years would have been fairly um, dramatic or I would have had to have given up on that dream of being that speaker um, if it wasn't for agriculture. Would you say you're an introvert or an extrovert? Um, I'm an introvert, definitely. Um, if I had told my 15-year-old self or my 30-year-old self that I would that I'd have no trouble standing in front of, in a certain sense of standing in front of a room of you know anywhere up to you know eight or nine hundred people and share my story, I would have laughed because I couldn't even stand in front of a classroom and uh, read anything out or that I couldn't do that. That was not me. Um, I'm fairly. Not, I wouldn't say shy, but I'm not. Um, I'm definitely not an extrovert. I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. So something that is not naturally comfortable for you, and yet you put yourself in that position to do this every time you step on that stage. Yeah, and I think that comes from, and I explain that as I reckon I've truly found my my purpose and my my identity um, from after 
losing my farm, which was a search that I'd been on for a number of years. And so standing in front of a group of people, I'm always nervous. And I always explain that because anxiety is something that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, but soon as I start talking, my purpose takes over that anxiety and I get into my rhythm. I might be a bit shaky in the first little five minutes, but once I get going, um, my purpose of being there and why I'm there and why I'm sharing my story takes over and the anxiety kind of dissipates. So it's, it's a real cathartic experience really when you stand up on a, on a stage and, and share your story. And Rural and Regional Australia thanks you for, for what you're doing um, for our industry and our regions and our communities. Oh, I appreciate that, Sally. It's um, it's something I'm fairly humble about what I do. I don't do it for praise or anything like that. I just, I love what I do. I love the people I meet and, and hopefully somewhere along the line I'm helping, you know, even if it's one person that comes along to an event that I speak at, if it helps them either, you know, help themselves or help someone that they love, well then, you know, I'm fulfilling my mission, my purpose. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. You kind of touched on it lightly before, Warren, about this journey has been a bit of a personal experience. If it's not too painful and we're not um, crossing over any boundaries, would you mind sharing with us what your journey has been? Sally, growing up in Melbourne um, wasn't without its challenges. Like, so at school, like if you met me in person, which hopefully one day we'll we'll get to do that in person, it'll be, it would be fantastic. But I'm six foot three, um, fairly big bloke, and you know, in year seven, um, I was the same height as what I am now. I had a slightly better haircut than what I've got now that I'm rocking at the minute. <laughs> but um, but I I walked into a school where. I was the only kid from my primary school to end up at that school. Bullying uh, was a big part of that journey at that school for the next three years and it had a massive impact on my, my well-being but also on, on my education as well As and that's where I alluded to like my dream job was that park ranger but you know my, my schooling was really impacted by this bullying and um it was something that I knew that was happening but I didn't recognise or probably acknowledge or understand and it was something that just got swept under the carpet. So when I bought, bought my first farm and, and went into a family business with mum and dad, it wasn't until we got we were two years into that business and we got hit by a flood that all of a sudden that stuff that happened as a kid all Something that I recognised when I did, a speaker, did this speaker course that set me on this journey as a speaker is unpacking my story. I realised at a young age I was struggling with anxiety and low self-esteem and the and the flood um, triggered all that again because it was unresolved. It was and it's an underlying theme to my story is that I I never dealt with it, never, you know, reached out for help. All the stuff that I tell people to do now, I didn't do. And so that flood triggered is what I now call my mental health journey. And but once again, as that farmer, and, and I suppose I was tarred with the brush twice, you know, I'm a farmer and I'm a bloke. So reaching out, talking about your emotions and how you're feeling is probably not the number one subject that you'd want to talk about. I didn't do that. Really paid no respect to what I now realise is the number one asset on that farm and that was me. You know, just recovered from the flood, moved on, kept going, but that had, that, that had triggered this what was what I describe as a cloud above my head, but it, um, 
couple of years after the flood, we had a family bust up on the farm where we didn't really have much succession planning in place. We were non-generational farmers. And mum um, and dad's vision and my vision of the farm went in two separate directions. Um, so once again, as a bloke, has to come up with a decision of how to solve this problem. Um, I bought them out of the farm, took on a lot of debt, um, resolved the family issue, which, you know, family is my number one value. So once the complete relationship breakdown I had with my parents was you know, having a massive impact and that cloud that I described as my start of my mental health journey now t- turned into a spiral. But once again, recover from that. So buy them out of the farm, that's a solution. So I did that. Set out on a 10-year plan of how I was going to pay that debt back and grow my business. And then uh, about 18 months down the track, um, which I call my silent business partner, Mother Nature, she came along again and sent me a drought. You know, obviously a massive um, impact plan was fairly robust. So we moved through the first year into the second year. Things got a little bit tighter. Um, now, in hindsight, I realised it was nothing to do with me. It was just Mother Nature. Um you know, she sent me a curveball that, you know, was pretty hard on everybody. It was an ongoing thing. And my mental health was just spiraling really quickly out of control until I hit, you know, really, really dark places, um, you know, where I believe that the world, you know, would be better off without me. And it's a really dark place to be. And when I hit rock bottom, that, that lowest of low points, life kind of gave me two choices. It was either... You know, I continued to be bitter and not seek help or I could choose to get better and I chose to get better that day. But that journey took has taken a long time and it's still ongoing. While I'm sitting here talking to you, that's part of that recovery journey. It's not long after I hit rock bottom, we kind of run out of money and the drought was just ongoing. Um, we decided that well, we walked off our farm. We couldn't sell it. The bank didn't want it. It wasn't a bank decision. It was our decision, but, you know, it was just getting so hard. So we walked off the farm and I went and took up a manager's job down in South Australia. As I walked off that farm that day, as the furniture van left the left the farm, I realised, um, you know, everything of me was tied up on that farm and my whole identity was connected to it. So symbolically, I unclipped my identity and, clipped it on off myself and clipped it on the front gate of my farm and left it with my farm because that's who I believed I was. I was Warren the farmer. That was my whole life. My my well, my kids grew up, it was my, my home, my business, my job, my passion, my everything, my 24-7 and, and I'd failed at it and I left my identity there and, and that started this journey to find out well, what's my purpose and identity in life even though I'm a husband and a father of, of five kids, wonderful kids and I'm a, I'm a son and I'm a brother and I'm, and I'm a mate and it wasn't until I found, um, you know, my speaking and sharing my story that I probably took me until then again to find out who I was and what my purpose is. And that's what I believe the journey that I'm on now is, you know, things happen for a reason and I'm on this journey because I can make a difference. And, and so I keep striving forward from here, but that's basically how I got to, to being the unbreakable farmer, which is once again, a whole different story, but that was by doing the speaker course. And part of that workshop, one of the workshops we did was to come up with a superhero name. And after sharing my story with the group, one of the guys said, oh, I reckon I know your superhero name. You're the unbreakable farmer. 
And I said, well, that sounds pretty catchy. So I registered it, um, registered the domain name, and that's how I become the Unbreakable Farmer. But as you've heard, my story is probably more about being broken than unbreakable. Gosh, that is such a powerful story. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that with us, Warren. I'm, I'm sure that story is going to help a lot of the listeners out there that may be going through something similar. I, I want to pick up on that thread about, you know, family. What impact do you think it had on on those loved ones around you? It's one of the things that, you know, I think it was a selfish thing. I didn't really recognise the impact that it was having on the people around us. And and at the end of the day, I, I knew the impact that the drought was having on everybody. Like we had at that stage four young kids. And that was probably one of the things that held me back from talking, particularly to my wife, about how I was feeling. I knew that she was going through the same thing and I didn't want to burden her with how I was feeling because I felt like enough of a failure as it was without, you know, saying, look, I'm not travelling well here and I'm really struggling mentally with everything that's going on. And I bottled that up inside and in hindsight I know that's not what I should have done. I should have been talking to, at least to her and if not to her, to some, to a professional about how I was feeling because it was having an impact. It was having an impact on my decision-making. It was having a, an impact on how I perceived the drought. You know, the more, the lower I got, the more um, caught up in that spiral that I was, the the more negative I was, my outlook was, I suppose, as well as some of my decision-making and spiralling out of control. You can't arrest that unless you're actually seeking help about it. So it was having a massive impact on the people around me. I had a, a massive impact on my relationships with mates and that because I started isolating myself. I stopped, you know, doing the stuff that I love doing, stopped, you know, socialising and, and so forth and just basically locked myself up on my farm and, and just head down, bum up and just keep working and with the thought that, you know, I can outsmart my silent business partner, Mother Nature, and if I work harder, um, work longer, um, I'll out smarter. And that was like, you know, tipping petrol on a campfire, especially with uh, the underlying mental illness that I had is just like it was eventually going to explode in my face. And that's when I got, you know, basically that was the moment that I got to the lowest point um, in my life was, you know, all that caught up with me because, you know, I just wasn't doing enough about or being proactive enough about um, looking after myself. As you were talking, I was thinking about your internal operating system, if you like, you know, your ability as a business person to make quality decisions obviously has really impacted. What other impacts do you think it has on the business side if you don't have a healthy mind? If I think about it, leaving the farm, um, and obviously we've come along leaps and bounds since those, those days that, you know, support like we've just seen with the recent floods you just felt like very you're on your own. So then you had to make decisions, and you know I was on this plan, and I'd you know ten year plan that we were kicking goal, and our plan I had confidence in our plan, and then um, as that as I lost control, decisions that I should have made. So to answer your question, to get back to my initial point, 
I probably shouldn't have ever left the farm. I should have tried to work out a different way of holding on. Um, moving away and managing a farm wasn't the answer. It was more of a knee-jerk reaction. And I, and I wish to this day that I had have held on probably a little bit longer. That decision was purely probably based on where I was mentally as well as where we were financially and physically exhausted. But there was other ways and means that we probably could have dealt with that situation. Might have all ended up in the same result, but a different way of going about it because it was a very traumatic time, as you can imagine, with four young kids um, leaving your home that you built and they grew up in and, and, and leaving their friends and family and moving you know, to a different state. And it was just a very, very traumatic time, not, not to mention losing your home, losing your business, losing your, you know, any connection that you had to a community and having to start again. So a lot of the things that, you know, the threads that we're, I'm talking about here are all the things that come out in my presentations now, like, you know, the how important community is to me and how, you know, connection and, and communication are all vitally important things. And I think as a manager moving forward from that point, you know, as a manager on big operations that which I've been fortunate enough to be in you know those three things connection community and making sure people are looking after themselves are all threads that I've followed I suppose from the lessons that I've learned from my own journey. Warren what are we getting wrong about the mental health conversation in Australia now do you think? We're, we're doing lots of good things and obviously the mental health space has come along in leaps and bounds it's just um there is still that stigma there and I think it's some of the language that we use, like whether it's conscious language or subconscious language, it's a perception of mental health or mental illness or suicide in our community is still tarnished with that generational thinking and I think that's one of the biggest things that we have to you know, change. And I hear this, I hear that language even, you know, with prof- professionals, like just simple things like, um, you know, I heard someone the other day talking about a suicide and they said, like, that that person committed suicide. Well, it sounds like it's a crime. You know, the, the language, instead of died by suicide, it's, it's, you know, that's one thing is the language. And the other thing is how we distribute money into that mental health space. And one of my biggest learnings was during the the Black Summer bushfires down in Gippsland particularly, I was doing some work down there, understanding that there were so many support services, but what people really were wanting was connection. And, you know, I learnt a lot by just pulling up in people's driveways and having a couple with them and knowing that I couldn't fix their problems. Like they're standing amidst a, a smouldering mess, but just that someone there to listen to listen to their story, listen to where they're at and just let them um, offload what was on their mind, whether that was going to have any long-lasting effect in the mental health sector. You know, there needs to be a lot more feet on the ground kind of um, front-led from the community and not dictated from higher above because that community knows 
themselves the best and they know how the best they can spend the money and whether that's they get a speaker in like myself or they run a program of some other description that's the I think that's the best way to tackle it and and that breaks down more barriers because they've got ownership of of that of that um and they're not being dictated you know well this is you know this is what you should do and and hopefully that's one of the things that I facilitate when I go into a community is that I'm happy to do it however I want. I'm not um, tied to any sort of format that I have to do. I'm just there to facilitate the conversation or hopefully follow my mission and that's to create awareness and education around mental health and well-being, inspire conversations and then empower people to seek help if they're in a safe environment that's free from stigma. The thing that really comes through for me is, you know, the power of even if you don't have all the answers, nobody expects you to have all the answers and just the power of the ear that you care enough to spend some time with them in a, in a challenging time. As a dairy farmer, my number one skill was observation, I believe, but my number one skill as a speaker is listening places like Lifeline you know that's a you know there's a misconception about organizations like Lifeline that they're a suicide line and I have to be suicidal to ring that line but they're actually a crisis line and it doesn't matter what crisis that you're in you can always ring that number you can have a you know if you're in crisis you've got no one else to talk to that's what they're there they're trying people to listen to those conversations and hopefully direct you on a path that will help you on your recovery. If somebody's listening right now, Warren, and they have concerns about themselves or a loved one, what would be your advice? You just need to start that conversation. You need to reach in and ask the questions. And I'm not being disrespectful to any mental health initiative in Australia here, but if I asked you, Sally, are you okay, what are you going to tell me? You're going to say, yes, I am. You're probably going to try and brush it off, aren't I? Brush it off. And that, look, and I make a bit of a lighthearted joke about that in presentations that I do, especially if there's a lot of blokes in a room. If I say, look, if I go around the room here and ask each and every one of you, are you okay? The typical response from the males in that room, uh, arms are folded and their head just tilts to one side and just gives you a little nod. Well, that's the end of that conversation. We need to learn, well, we need to put in our mental health toolbox a range of questions and and we need to develop the skill of being able to ask these questions because it's no use just having a set standard lot of questions in this in your toolbox because every situation is different. But questions like, oh, look, I noticed that you didn't come to our field day the other day and you're normally the first one there. Is everything okay? Or you've driven past your, you know, your neighbour's front gate and they normally have the you know entry into their farm always slashed or the fence line sprayed and all of a sudden there's weeds everywhere. Well, there's something going on and you need to have the courage to be able to ask people worry about sticking their nose in. But if you're truly concerned about that person's well-being, well, you need to ask the questions, you know, are you, are you going okay? Is there anything I can do? Do you want to talk about anything? One of the things we need to understand is we need to build rapport, even though we know, might know them, but it might take a number of conversations before they're ready to talk about how they're actually feeling. And one of the harsh realities, I suppose, that I've learned as a mental health speaker and working in communities and, and kind of falling in a little bit into this disaster recovery space is that you can't help everybody. And that's a real harsh reality of the space that I work in. There's some people that you're just not going to be able to be able to help. 
um, you got to keep that conversation going and keep um, being persistent and ca- and checking in and making sure if you know if you're truly concerned about that person that they're, they're seeking the help that that they, that they need and whether that's you helping them find that help or or trying to engage someone else to try and break down those barriers so they are getting the help that they need. If you had the chance to start over again on a on a personal level, Warren, what would you do differently? Is there anything you would do differently or would you be prepared to go through that same journey again? It's a great question, Sally. Um, because my passion ended up being large dairy herds, I would have gone to the States. I, w- I really now wish I had gone to the States or Canada in those initial years and learnt that large herd kind of management thing. I wouldn't be here talking to you if it wasn't for my journey. Um, my kids wouldn't be the resilient, hardworking kids if it wasn't for for our journey and our time in agriculture. If it wasn't for agriculture, the last three years would have been an absolute nightmare for our family. So I was able to lean on the skill set that agriculture has given me to be able to keep food on my table, um, keep the bills paid um, while we were going through something unprecedented that the world had never been through. So I, I owe a lot to agriculture and I wouldn't change really, apart from a few little tweaks, I wouldn't change my journey for anything. When it comes down to it, my passion for what I did hasn't dissolved. I love cows and I love dairy farming I love extracting the most out of the animals um, that I can and giving them but at the same time giving them the you know ultimate care that I could give them and it's just a it's a it was a great career to pursue I think. From the speaking side of things Warren what's been on your mind lately regarding mental health in rural and regional Australia? Obviously, over or since the bushfires or even before during the drought, I did a lot of work in southern Queensland and in New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia um, with the drought and then obviously New South Wales and Victoria with the bushfires and now the floods. And having obviously not been through bushfire before, understanding the despair of loss, like of of any loss like it was interesting I had a conversation with someone in Kangaroo Valley not long ago up in New South Wales who are still after three years living in a lean-to caravan set up on their block of land with no house and we were talking and and they said well your story is just like our story and I'm trying to quantify that in my own head thinking you can how can you even relate our two stories you know but he goes but the bottom line is you lost everything. You walked away from your farm with it. Like you may as well have been burnt down because it was gone. Like that that dream was gone. You'd lost everything that yeah that you'd worked through over those years. And when I thought about it that way, well, yeah, it is. So I understand it is the same sort of story. So I understand loss and their loss and how they're feeling. And so that's one of the things as a speaker I gave into any community, especially those communities affect by that, affected by those natural disasters with a lot of empathy and, and understanding, even though I don't necessarily have to be travelling the same journey as them but having empathy for the situation that they're in and hopefully trying to give pass on some of my wisdom, which is something that I'm big about is um, and something that um, inspiring people to have conversations and sharing wisdom on how we can overcome challenges that we're facing is something that I really 
learning as a speaker and whether that's in the mental health part of my talks or in in disaster recovery or or you know or just community resilience it's about sharing wisdom getting people to talk about their own journeys because you never know you might be holding someone's piece of their puzzle that they need to be able to move forward and you might think it's quite insignificant but it might be you know the bit that they need just to be able to move forward yeah you don't really understand the the light at the end of the tunnel um so it's uh, you know embracing embracing your story and understanding it and then you know until you actually understand it you don't understand the power of your own story and and the light that it can bring Obviously, I'm down the track a little bit in my recovery journey, but as I said, it's still it's still an ongoing journey um, where other people are just starting out on that journey. But if until you know they they embrace where they're at and and they can't really move forward. What can people expect from Warren Davies, the Unbreakable Farmer, next? Look, more speaking. I'm lucky enough that I've already got some. Um, gigs booked in different states um, for next year. The ultimate dream, um, ultimate um, thing would be to bring out a book. I'd love to do that. Um, just got to get my head around how you do that. Um, getting around, getting into community. I love just getting into different communities. I feel comfortable there um, and sharing my story, but tweaking how I do that. And, you know, I've started this year, you know, running a few more workshops and, um, workshop format style kind of presentations instead of keynote stuff um, and sharing a few more an in-depth um, look into some of the tools and strategies to be able to fill your mental health toolbox with. What is one final thought that you would like to leave Growing Agri People listeners with? Find your passion and, and your purpose in life and just and chase that 100%. You know, whatever that whatever that is, but find your passion. Um, if you find your passion and you pursue it, like they say, if you 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 you're not working a day in your life, if you find your passion and and keep learning, learning all the time. It's if you're not learning every day, um, I think it's time to check your pulse because life's always throwing us lessons, and we need to we need to take the lessons from it. Warren, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for your generosity and spirit of sharing your story. If people want to find you, how can they do that? Uh, well, basically jump on my website, which is www.theunbreakablefarmer.com.au or on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn or Twitter. They're happy for anyone to you know drop me a line if they want to have a chat. Growing Agri People is brought to you by Inspire Ag. For more information about how we can support you to increase people and business performance on farm, head to our website, inspire-ag.com.au. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to our monthly e-newsletter. If you have any suggestions on topics or guests that you would like to learn from, you can send a message via the website or search Inspire Ag Oz across all the social media platforms. Until next time, grow well.